0: That's where we're going to be. So if you're, if you're new or visiting today, we've been walking through the book of Lamentations. If you're newer visiting today, and you don't know anything about the book of Lamentations, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, uh, as a whole, Lamentations is a pretty dark, sad, dreary book. So aren't you glad you came to church today? Um, but seriously, as, as you turn to lamentations, if you, if you brought a Bible, you can do that uh, there 's a couple verses. Uh, the main crux of what I want to talk about will be on the screen, so you can follow along with that too. But um, this is the pinnacle of lamentations. This is the middle of lamentation. so so again if you 've been joining us for a while or if today 's your first day i 'm going to kind of share with you what this looks like. Lamentations, if you can picture in your mind, is, is almost like a like a, a pyramid or a triangle, if you will, not exactly but kind of like that. And the the way I say that, the reason I say that is because it's five chapters, the book, so you have the third as the middle chapter, two on each side, and what you've got is you've got 22 verses in chapter one, 22 verses in chapter two, 66 verses in chapter three, and then 22 and 22, okay? And so that you can see in my mind how that's kind of pyramid-ish, okay? In the 66 that we're gonna talk about, we're not gonna talk about all 66, uh, but in that, Lamentations is written in such a way where the poet Jeremiah he uses the 22 verses. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. You, I, I know most of us don't know Hebrew, so we'll just so think of it this way. What he would do is in the 22 verses for us 26, it would be A, B, C, and so on, and he would use each one of those as the beginning of one of his verses in his poem that he's writing about the destruction and the grief, and the sorrow over Israel, okay? So then chapter three, if you're doing the math, is 66 verses, I think I said that. It's the largest of the two. So in, in this one, he does something like CCC, A, 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 B, 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 C, C, and so on, and that's why it is triple the amount. And so this is the pinnacle. So like any good arrowhead, right? You see that the, it, it's kind of pointing us, Lamentations 1 and 2, pointing us to 3. Lamentations 4 and 5, coming off of the back end of chapter 3. And so this is really the highlight of the book. Now, if you've ever shopped for jewelry, you you can kind of already have a frame of reference for what Jeremiah is going to do, what I hope to do, what we're going to see in this chapter today. What I mean by that is this. I remember when I was going to shop for Elisa's wedding ring. And I'd go to these different jewelry stores, and all of them are generally set up similar. What I mean by that is, I don't know how much you know about jewelry stores. They have special lighting in those jewelry stores. They pay a lot for the light bulbs that are in those jewelry stores to try to make sure it's a very crisp, very clean light, you know? Uh, Even if if you look in this room, if if, if you're not watching live in this room, the lighting is kind of has a, a yellowish hue to it. That would not be allowed in a jewelry store. They want it to be crisp, clear, white light. And then if you've been in a jewelry store, you know that the cases themselves, usually the, on the bottom of the cases, it's kind of a darker, um, paint color, or like a gray or something drab, you know. And then they have the glass cases. And don't bring your kids there. They're just going to look at you funny because the, they know that they're going to put handprints all over the glass. And, of course, they clean the glass all the time to give you a clear view of what's inside the case. Inside the case, they'll often have lights uh, in, in the case kind of highlighting different pieces of jewelry. Same kind of clear, white, crisp uh, light that's being highlighted on that. And then you have the, the gem, or the bracelet, or the necklace, or the whatever the piece is that's there. And oftentimes, underneath that piece is some kind of like black velvet cloth, or some kind of a dark material. I don't know if it's velvet. It looks like velvet to me. But there's that dark cloth underneath. And the reason is, is to highlight that trinket, right? To highlight that gem, to highlight that... Necklace, to highlight whatever that is. So they've got all these lights set up in such a way as to really point your vision, point your frame of reference to this, to this one specific area. So the title of today's message is Grace in Grief. That's the title of this whole series. It's Grace in Grief. And what I want to talk to you about today is how we are to tune our hearts to find God's grace in the midst of Grief. And there's some things that we need to remember, some things we need to practice, some things we need to meditate on, some things we need to be reminded of this morning. And it's so interesting that if you've been with us for a little while, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to either go back and listen, or what would be even better, just read the book of Lamentations for yourself. You don't need me in between you and the text. You can just go there. And so lament means to pour out our hearts, right? It's this heart cry. But lamenting as a whole, I I think, is really a Christian thing to do. Because not only is lament pouring our heart out, but it's also anchoring our heart to the truths of who God is and what he's done. Because everybody cries, everybody has grief, everybody has pain, everybody has sorrow, but to truly lament is to bring us back, to focus us, to turn on those light bulbs, to clean off the case, to really examine the jewel that is sitting there, even in the midst of the rest of this darkness, and the value of that jewel, even in the midst of this darkness. And so that's tuning our hearts for this. And so before we jump into the text for this morning, perhaps you are familiar with the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If you're not, you will be by the end of this morning. But that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is is written by a man who ended up being an insurance salesman because he was unhealthy enough that he could not continue in the ministry for longer than I think maybe his first or second year. And and through his life, he continued to see God's faithfulness. And Great is Thy Faithfulness is written because of Lamentations chapter 3. And so the author is going to help us push our hearts to what we know to be true, even when our eyes deceive us. And so it's about having a perspective in hardships. Lamentations 3, 1 through 20 is really dark. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, you you can look with me at verses 17 and 18. It says, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel like your soul is just bereft of peace. Maybe you can say, I I have forgotten what happiness is. Maybe you are saying, my endurance has perished. I, I don't feel like I can go on. And maybe you're saying, I feel like the Lord has given up on me. There, there is no hope. Well, I want to show you where Jeremiah eventually goes. And so if, you're, if you've got your copy open and you're looking at 17 and 18, either turn the page or continue to scroll down or continue to run your finger down the page so you get to verses 57 58 where he says, you came near when I called to you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Do you hear the difference in tone, the difference of heart, just even the difference in the pen as he writes these two separate things before he was felt hopeless? In, in, in fact, I think that this is this idea of the difference between a a bitter hopelessness and a God-centered hopefulness. Hope Hope can be dangerous. And the section I want to cover with you this morning is, is verses 21 through 33, and then also a section later on, 55 through 58. And... Jeremiah is gonna share with us what we are supposed to do to tune our hearts to find this grace in grief. But let's start with prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this text. And, and, and others like it in, in Psalms throughout scripture where we see these dark sections of history. And yet, even in the midst of it, as Jeremiah has done for us, help us. Help us to tune our hearts that we might still see your grace even in our grief. We ask that because we need that, Lord. So help us, we pray. And It's in your name we ask. Amen. So, Philippians 4, 6 through 9, tells us Do not to be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. So continuously praying, lifting those things up to him. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us in, in verse 8 there, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, and what is worthy of praise? God. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So even in this text, in the New Testament, which we've seen has been shaped through the blood of this new covenant in Christ Jesus, we are told, hey, don't be anxious, but... Pray all the time. And then, and then instead, what he is saying is what we're going to see here. Tune your hearts and think about these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And what he talks about there is he says, we must discipline, we must be disciplined in our thinking. We must meditate on the truth and gain the perspective that comes from remembering all that God has done for you and is going to do. And that, my friends, is where the book of Lamentations, where I want to take off with you. So Lamentations 3, verse 21 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So if you're here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I can relate to being in gloom. I can relate to, maybe you're here, and and, and when I read to you verses 17 and 18, my soul is bereft of peace, I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished, so, uh, so is my hope from the Lord. Maybe you're thinking, man, I can relate to that. Well, I want you to see in verse 21, that's the pinnacle of this pinnacle chapter. So you have 1 and 2, 4 and 5, pinnacle chapter. The pinnacle of that pinnacle would be these verses that we're about to go over. Because this is where his heart shifts. This is how Jeremiah tells us, this is how God tells us in his word, how we are to tune our hearts to the grace that God still has. So, by this I call to mind, what is he calling to mind? I'm glad you asked. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24 for the first section of text says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see it there. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he just got done saying he feels like his hope is absolutely gone. Now, you've probably noticed this because you've read Lamentations before and and I know that you are a student of the Bible and so I know that you have noticed this but up until this point, it's interesting one through... uh 18 there he does not mention lord and and you probably also know that in in your bible when it's that capital in the text when they capitalize the l-o-r-d what we're talking about is the name the covenantal name of yahweh god right he's using god's actual name but the scribes and the pharisees and and uh, all the people who are writing the bibles over and scribes and pharisees weren't always bad okay like They got that rap historically through Jesus, but there were scribes that would rewrite the copies of the Bible and instead of writing Yahweh, because it was a sacred name, they would write this this kind of Lord. And so this is the transliteration of that when we have the capital L-O-R-D. And so that is the focus here of what we're doing. And so the first thing he tells us to call to mind is, or the way that I would put it to us, is we need to meditate on his mercies. God's mercy never ends. This is, so every once in a while we'll run into a, a Hebrew or a Greek word and it matters enough for me to geek out with you a little bit, okay? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek on just a little bit and, and I, and I want to refer to this, this word in here, verse, verse 22. I want to direct your attention to this. It's one word in Hebrew, steadfast, steadfast. Love. That word is the word, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong because I'm not Israeli, but it's chesed. There's probably more like chesed, okay? It's probably how they would pronounce that, maybe. So this term for chesed is the steadfast love. This is God's covenantal love. The English doesn't have a good translation for this, so we use steadfast love. This is God's never-ending, always-pursuing, all-powerful, uh, won't give up, can't give up, uh, continuously, whether you like it or not, right behind you, love. This is the kind of love that, that we talk about when in, in the New Testament it says God is love, right? Now, it's important, I, I want you to see this and understand this because I hope that you are blessed by this, that as you read your Bible on your own, as you listen to Psalms, as I've been reading through Nehemiah, this term for God's chesed, his steadfast love. We just sung about it earlier. Like the reason that we are not all utterly hopeless is not because of the good we have in us. It's because of God's chesed, his steadfast love, his covenantal, always pursuing, always after, never giving up, that kind of love. And so this is what he brings to mind first. He's meditating on his mercies, that his mercies are new every morning; that just the fact that he woke up is a blessing, because sometimes at the end of our day we are so beat up, we are so in that dark state that we go to bed, and you may have even thought to yourself, or even prayed to God, "God, could you just just take me before I wake up in the morning?" And so we see here some mercies. We see that his has said love his. His grace. In verse 39, it says, why should a living man complain? You see, some of the mercies that Jeremiah has here is that he's even able to pen this. Israel was just sacked by the Babylonians. And yet, he survives. He says, the Lord is his portion. The Levites were not given land, they were just given the temple. And all the rest of the Israelites, as they're bringing their uh, sacrifices into the temple, as they were performing these duties before the Lord, they would be fed and nourished and sustained by that which the rest of Israel would bring in. And so what this means for us is, no matter what the world takes from you, they can never Take your Jesus. And that, there you go. That's a good spot for an amen. And so in the New Testament, they talk about that too, right? Fear the one who can throw both the soul and the body in hell, but don't fear the one who can just merely hurt the body. And so his steadfast love never ceases. His mercy never ends. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, this is what we sung, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. The Lord is our portion. My flesh and my heart may fail in, verse, uh, in, in Psalm seventy three twenty six. But God is my strength and my portion forever. And so therefore, he begins, therefore, we have hope. That's the first thing he says he brings to mind is God's mercies. The second thing he brings is in verses 25 through 30. He says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There yet there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Sounds like somebody you know, right? Or I hope you know. And so the second thing he says here is we ought to practice faithful patience. Waiting on the Lord is never wasted. In the society that we live in, and, and if I'm totally honest with y'all, with the kind of personality that I have, man, I bug my wife. I always got to be doing something. Like, I've got to be doing something. She, she, and, and she knows. so whenever we have a day off, we can't stay at the house. Because if we stay at the house, I'm like, well, there's some kind of project I can do either at the church or around the house. There's something that I can do. And she's like, I just want you to just hang out with the family. I'm like, well, I can't do that when the lawn needs to be mowed and the gutters need to be cleaned and the garage needs to be organized and there's stuff over at the church that I need to clean up and there's this or oh, that and or the cars need to be washed or there's you know, weeds that need to be pulled. And she's like, can we just leave? <laughs> and what that boils down to, if we're honest, is my sinful need to be in control isn't it? I need to have all my ducks in a row. I need to have all my stuff set. And, and maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe the most difficult thing is for us to wait patiently because in the waiting patiently, we actually feel like we're, we're doing nothing. When the truth of the matter is, is we're doing maybe the best possible thing that we can do, which is simply acknowledging our weakness before a powerful, righteous, good God. And we are simply saying, I can't. And so I need you too. And waiting is hard. But I also want you to see here in the Hebrew, and, and in, in the English text they do this, but we miss it. In the Hebrew, each one of these, 20, 25, 26, 27, did you notice the repetition of the word good? Good. So I want to ask you, what's good about waiting? Well, let me ask the question a different way. You don't have to raise your hand because I know that the answer is all of you. How many of us wish that we could have the wisdom we have now and go back to our 14, 15, 13, 12-year-old selves? Yeah, I know, right? If only, if only. And then since it's Father's Day, you know, you you spend all your time telling your kids the things, hey, I've been down this road. This is where I've been. And they just roll their eyes at you and you're like, bro. So what's good about waiting? Lots of things. It says here that the Lord rewards those who wait for him. Submission is something that is learned, we see. We even see that in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who submitted himself and then was patient in his goings-on and patient with the people who he was with. Can you even just, uh, we can't. Uh, Just, here's something. Imagine how frustrated we get with people when we're right and they're wrong, okay? Husbands, wives, don't elbow, okay? But just, uh, just imagine that, right? Brothers and sisters, keep your hands to yourself. But now imagine how Jesus might have felt who was truly, sinlessly always right and had to deal with people like Peter, just one example, and all the other ones. Submission is learned. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Matthew five thirty nine. but I say, you do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other one to him as well. I'm paraphrasing at that point. It says here, it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth or a woman, And it's good because then they're going to actually learn that in these moments, this is why Jeremiah talks about that, in the moment where your life seems to be crumbling, in the moment where the lights seem to have went out and all you're left is with that darkness underneath, we have to be aware that that jewel has not left the case. The jewel of Christ is still there and that he will one day flip the lights on again and that we ourselves can blindly maneuver ourselves to feel that it is there even when we cannot see it. And that's why we're tuning our hearts to find God's grace even in the midst of grief. And that's what Jeremiah has to do too. He says, I, I just need to wait for this to be over because I know my God. And so we should practice faith-filled patience. The next thing he asks us to do or reminds us that we should do or encourages us to do is in verse 31 through 33 for the lord will not cast off forever that is a good word Uh, but though he caused grief and some of you that just made you uncomfortable but it's in your bible deal with it but but though he caused grief uh, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his said his steadfast love Uh, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so he tells us here that we are to cling to his compassion. And what he means there is that this is not the end. There's a song somewhere that talks about uh, uh, like a period at the end of the story. So I, I, I wrote this. This is the semicolon of your life. I don't know what a semicolon does. but I know, I know it's, I believe, grammatically correct for this illustration. I know it's a pause. Semicolon also seems a little more forceful than a regular colon, right? This is the semicolon of your life. This is not the period at the end. Because the end is, is with him in, in, in heaven for all of eternity. And so the dark period that you might be going through, or the dark period that you will be going through, or the dark period that you went through, if you already went through some of a dark period, then you can can sit today and you can testify and you can say, amen, that wasn't the period. That was just the semicolon. And there's more after that. There's more to be written and that that's not the final stanza of the song. And in fact, even on the darkest of days, as you walk with somebody who is literally going through the valley of the shadow of death, if they're passing away in the hospice home or in the, in the bed, or even if it's just some weird freak accident on the side of the road, for us who are in Christ, that is not the end. For all of us, really, that's not the end. I think of children. And how you, you know they're playing with play doh at the kitchen table, and they're really involved with that situation. And then dad, because he's a jerk, right? He comes and he's like, "It's time to pick the play doh up." And he takes all the play doh and he starts stuffing it back in the thing. And the kids all downhearted. Man, my, you're ruining my play doh, man. What the kid doesn't understand is dad is taking all the play doh away because today is your birthday, and mom's about to put a a cake in front of you. <laughs> He won't cast off forever Isaiah forty fifty four. I'm sorry, Isaiah fifty four, seven through ten. For a brief moment I dis deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Also, his ways are our ways. If you think about that little boy with his Play-Doh, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. In the darkness of our grief, we have to tune our hearts to understand that our experience, though painful, is fleeting and cannot be compared to the glory of that which is one day waiting for us and is guaranteed to us because it has been purchased for us. And so this is not the end. The last thing that he tells us here is in verses 55 through 58, tied in with verse 33. So 33 is not on your screen. It is in your copy of God's word. So verse 33 says, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men, and there's proof of that here. As he said, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. And so the last thing we need to do is remember his redemption. Remember where he's brought you from. He has called you out of death into life. We just, we just went through the book of Ephesians not real long ago. Remember that? Dead in your trespasses and sins. An enemy with the Lord. Other places in scripture, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have went off to our own thing. There is none righteous, no, not one. to remember where he has brought you from, and then remember where he has brought you to, an inheritance, a son and daughter of the Most High God. He has lifted you up with Jesus. He has placed you and given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly heavenlies. He has sealed you and how he has secured you. And what it cost him to do this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing as a gift of God. So we need to tune our hearts in the midst of grief that God is always good. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is how we find grace in grief. That is how Jeremiah and Lamentations, a book of utter darkness and destruction at the pinnacle, at the pinnacle of all these things. Remember the last two chapters, all this destruction, all this darkness, all this waste. Jeremiah says, but I'm going to choose to remind myself of that which I know to be true about God, even though my eyes don't see it. And this is not a fake it till you make it. That's why this is a lament and not a praise necessarily because it's mixed. It's a praise even in the midst of our grief. But that is where our hearts are tuned. Hello, God's talking to you this morning. So his mercies never end. We can meditate on them. We can wait on the Lord because it's not a waste. We can practice faithful faithful patience because this is not your end. So we can cling to his compassion and remember our redemption because God is always good. And so I want to invite you for a moment to spend some time meditating on the truths that you are about to hear as our hearts are tuned to see God's grace even in our grief. brothers and sisters in the midst of our trials in the midst of the darkness be encouraged there is grace let's pray god our father in heaven we thank you we praise you for the goodness of god we ask that you would help us tune our hearts so that even in the midst of the darkness of our grief, that we can bring those to you, even in the form of lament, but be brought to a place that our hearts are tuned to see your grace. Help us, Lord, to meditate on your mercy. Help us to practice faithful patience. Help us to cling to your compassions and help us to remember the redemption of which you have purchased us. Hence, in your name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna invite you to, to stand with us as we as we sing.